Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today we are doing an episode about reading from our TBR piles. And in case you don't know, TBR stands for To Be Read. It is something that people who love to read like to bandy about when they talk about what they uh, (laughs) want to read. They'll refer to their TBR shelves or their TBR stack or TBR pile. Um, So Anne and I thought it would be fun. We took photos of some of our bookshelves with our unread books, sent them to each other, and picked out three books that each of us should read uh, in preparation. So uh, Anne, let's let's discuss the size of our TBR piles. (laughs) Well, it cracks me up when I see other people posting about their TBR and they're like, I've got like 25 books just <laughs> sitting there and it it's so funny to uh, me yeah i mean if that's your tbr then that's great yes. and i i admire you but no. that is not the situation that i'm in no i so and i have a hard time quantifying it because i'm like well are we talking about physical books that are on my shelf or are we right. talking about uh, arcs that i have on my kindle or are we talking right. about books that I mark as to read on Goodreads, because these are all three distinct. I mean, there might be some overlap, but there's definitely, we're talking about three different things here, because Goodreads is often books that I hear about from podcasts I listen to or reviews I read that I think, oh, I'd like to read that. And that's different to me than physically owning a book, which I do at some point hope to get around to reading that. And then my Kindle, I have lots of advanced readers copies on where every once in a while I try to go through and and thin that out a little bit. Yeah, I'm working on that right now myself. Yeah, it's hard though, because especially once I got on the awards committee that I'm on, publishers will whitelist you, it's called. So like everything that they have available as an advanced reader's copy through certain websites you have access to. So it can get very easy to just be like, download, download, download. This looks interesting. It's just one click. It's just one click (laughs) and it's not. And then... uh, yeah, so I can and get a little. And then your Kindle is full. And then your Kindle is full. But what's interesting <laughs> about that is, and that, this isn't really the topic, but I still prefer, even if I have it on my Kindle as an advanced reader's copy, sometimes I will still get it out from the library once it's finished, or you know, oh, once it's published. Um, yeah. It just depends on the situation because I do like reading on my Kindle. Sometimes it's very, very convenient to read on my Kindle. Yeah. But if it's an advanced reader's copy that I haven't gotten around to before it has been published. I'd probably say 50% of the time or even more will then read the finished version um, and get it from the library versus reading it on my Kindle. Um, I still prefer a physical book over my Kindle, but I do I do like my Kindle for travel and stuff. But yeah, I think that I, I also say that I prefer a physical copy and in my mind I do and I, I guess I do. But I think I read faster on my Kindle. Yeah, I've heard people say that. And I I may. I don't know. I don't. It's not noticeable enough for me to like to choose one over the other just for speed yeah. sake. It's not something I've I've noticed enough. But I've heard a lot of people say that. Yeah. That and I like covers. I really like to look at, at covers yeah. when I'm when, like, I think it adds so much to the atmosphere if I have a really great cover mm-hmm. that I'm I'm um, picking up. But yeah, I, I used to be super anti, I mean, not, not mm-hmm. anti ebook in the sense that I didn't think people should use them. I just didn't care at right. all for myself. Right. And then, um, and then I got one specifically for advanced copies. And I was really shocked at how much, uh, 
I, I just felt like it was, I mean, maybe it's all in my head mm-hmm. that it's a faster experience, but it felt like I was going faster. So Well, and it can be more know. comfortable to, especially when you're reading in bed, it can be more comfortable to hold yeah. a tablet or something, an e-reader than a big, thick hardcover for sure. Yeah. Uh, my favorite, I think we may have talked about this before, but I like trade paperbacks. Those are my favorite type right. of reading material. I find that just like the perfect size of a very comforting thing to hold and I don't know yeah, there's just yeah. something I like about a trade paperback that would always be my preferred mode I mean yeah. unless I'm traveling and you can't bring you can't fill up a whole suitcase when you're flying on the airline just full of books or something like that and then the Kindle is obviously very very handy yeah but if I'm at home and I have the option of a trade paperback that's always going to be my first choice yeah I'd agree with that i I think that's probably the majority of my book collection. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it right now <laughs> or, or a section of it. Yeah. And yeah, I'd say I'd say the majority of it is just trade. Yeah. So let's talk about how we chose our books for each other. We, as I said, we took photos of some. I don't, I don't think we, at least I didn't send you all of my bookshelves. But oh, I, no. I sent you a selection of maybe five or six of my bookshelves. And yeah. then you looked at those photos. How did you decide which books to pick for me? Do you um, remember? This was a little while ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. So I guess I have a question first. Sure. Did you send me leading pictures because I definitely sent you leading oh did you so yeah no I will say I sent you photos of shelves where I felt like the majority of them were books I had not read um yeah so there would have been shelves where if I had taken a photo and you had picked a book I would have said oh no I've already read that so I did try to keep your books together no matter what if you've read them or not right they're just okay alphabetical by author's last name so except that I do keep like uh, mass market paperbacks, which is mostly my romances together. And then I keep teen books together. But other than that, it's alphabetical. Oh, well, and then in my living room, I have on shelves like by color, (laughs) but just a few. (laughs) It would be like five blue books together on one shelf and then like four maroon books together. But that's just for decorating purposes more than anything else. No, but in in the space where I keep most of my books, they're alphabetical order and and they're mixed in. But I will say, I often, once I've read a book, I give it away. Either I donate it to the library, I give it to somebody else to read. So most of what I physically have on my shelves, I have not read yet. So I felt pretty confident by what I, yeah, by what I sent that most likely it was going to be something I, you know, you were going to choose something I hadn't read. I think I went with things that I had read myself. Yes, I believe so. And I wanted to see what you thought of them. Yeah. One of them I know I didn't, but I also can't remember what I've read from that author. <laughs> so I could have read it. It's been 20 years or something yeah. since I read something from one of these authors. Yeah. So, um, and then for me sending you things, I was I sent you things that I thought you'd probably want to pick for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So I actually had, I gave you a little curveball, but then I had picked one book for you that then we switched because you thought you were going to be, or you knew you were going to be discussing with your book club, but not for a few months. Oh yeah, that's true. And you felt like, uh, which I think we could probably say what the book is, right? And and actually, yeah, it's Ninth House and it actually is next month that I'm reading it. I thought it was late. I thought it was in November, so it totally would have worked. But I was so shocked that you didn't pick the book that we switched right. with because you gave me that book yes. that I I was I was like did you 
make a mistake no, here? Because I'm pretty sure that this is what you need to pick for yeah. me. No, because so what I did is I looked at your pictures and I thought, of course, I tried to pick books that I thought you would enjoy and, and yeah. that would be of interest to you. Um, and so the three that I that I went with, the one, or I guess the one that I you will be talking about, but that I didn't at first choose was because I've told you so many times you should read it yeah. that I thought, well, that's just... <laughs> That's a given that I think you should read that from your stack. Um, and yet I never will until you assign it to so me. So we'll have to do this again next year and I'll yeah. assign it to you. We've done this. We did this the first year. Yeah. Maybe that we recorded and it was so much fun it was because fun. it's it's just nice to, I love getting a, an assignment like that. Yeah. Of these are, this is something I think you'll, either something you'll enjoy or... Or just, I don't know, it felt it felt like a syllabus. It did. It was and fun. And I love school. Well, so. and I will also say, so without getting into the nitty gritty, which is probably super boring to other people about how I do my reading awards committee stuff, is June is a very heavy reading month for me. Um, and typically May is as well. But June definitely is. And so, and then we usually wrap up that round of reading by July 4th. So I knew that as of July 4th, I would have a little bit more freedom to read whatever I wanted, but I knew, I know myself, and by August, I was already gonna be back to thinking, okay, I need to be reading for the committee again. So it felt like the ideal time to read some backlists or some older things that I haven't had a chance to read for a little while and that I would be, at the time, I remember when we were having this conversation about doing this, I was like, all I was craving was books that I didn't have to read for the committee, which sounded really funny, but it was just, that's how I felt at the time. I was just, I was seeing people recommend books on Instagram and Goodreads, and it was all these books that I couldn't read at the time. And so it just sounded so good to me to be able to just pick a book off my shelf that's been sitting there for three years and read it and versus a brand new, which I know it's, I love I love reading all the brand new stuff, but sometimes it's just nice to read something that, um, that I don't know, that's been sitting there that you've been wanting to read. Yeah. And and something that, like for me, I, I say over and over and again on the podcast, I own that book, but I haven't read it. And so to be able to kind of tick off some famous books mm-hmm. that are very popular that mm-hmm. I just never, it's not that I didn't know about them. It's just I had other stuff I had to read. So it's it's nice to be able to finally say I've read these books. Yeah. So, okay, well, let's go ahead. We've teased enough about without (laughs) revealing our title. So although if you follow us on Instagram, I did post several of the photos that we sent each other and I said, what would you pick? So you might have an inkling of some of what we're going to be talking about, but you, you go ahead and tell our listeners the first one that you read. Okay, so the first book I'll talk about is A Darker Shade of Magic by V.E. Schwab. Yay! And this is the one you gave me. Yes. <laughs> and the story behind this is that I basically had this perpetu- perpetually checked out from the library from the day it was published for two years. <laughs> and then um, Hallie thought that was ridiculous. And so she bought it for me as a gift when I had surgery three years ago. And then for the past three years, it's been sitting on my shelf. So it's kind of disappointing um, that you did end up reading it. I know it would have been nice to joke. just always be one of the book that you plan to read. Yeah, but I've, I mean, I've wanted to read this yeah. for so long because it has such a great cover. Yeah. It's kind of like a seventies ish mm-hmm. looking cover, and it's it's just really beautiful. So, um, so I was really excited. So when Hallie um, didn't assign it to me, I was pretty upset. So I told her 
you you're wrong let's redo this so so i'm really happy i got to read it finally so this is the break i would call it the breakthrough adult novel mm-hmm. from v schwab and she's she'd written some other i thought this was her first but she actually had written an, another adult novel first mm-hmm. but she was an established ya author um although she writes as victoria schwab mm-hmm. if she's writing for ya so um what this book is famous for is that it covers four parallel worlds that have london as a focal point mm-hmm. so you have these these four londons so there's gray london which is basically real life and the the time period of this book it's set during the regency so um early uh 19th century mm-hmm. and then there's red london which is full of vibrant magic and really celebrates the, the presence of magic in that world and then there's white london which has leached all its magic um or sl- it, i think there's still a little bit but it's like slowly leaching it away and it's c- seen as dangerous and kind of predatory and there are all these coups over the throne and it's currently be currently being held by these um by two twins who are pretty terrible people and then there's black london that has been destroyed and it's mysterious and no one talks about it so these four worlds used to be open to each other, but now they're sealed off after there was the catastrophe catastrophe of Black London's um, destruction, and only magicians called Antari can move between these worlds. So the main character, Kel, is one of them, and he has this great power in his blood and can manipulate magic in ways that others can't, including moving between these worlds. And so he serves as an ambassador for Red London to the other worlds, and he is really skilled in negotiating um the different ways of life that he has to adapt to in each each of these um, different versions of London. And he has this coat that switches. It, it, it has all these different sides is how it's described. So he switches out his coat for, for whatever he needs in these different worlds. So on the side, he's also a smuggler and he knows that it's dangerous, but he um, kind of enjoys it and he can't help it. And so he is ferrying items across these different Londons for a price. So he goes to white london on business for the royal family of red london and when he's on his way back he's handed this package by a woman who begs him to take something to her family member that lives in red london and this should be impossible because the worlds have been separated for i think generations and there's really no way that she could have a living family member so once he gets back to red london he realizes that the package actually com- that he's been tricked and the package contains a piece of of stone from black london and that just shouldn't be a thing so um as a result of of getting this piece of stone he gets into a bad situation and he has to escape to gray london and he runs into a woman named lila bard and she dresses as a man and she's wanted for theft and no one knows that this notorious criminal um of the night is actually female so she has dreams of being a pirate and of freedom and adventure and she's tired of being poor and so when she meets Kel, she sees that he's different and he uses magic in front of her pretty immediately and um he explains to her how these worlds work and that he has to get to black london to destroy this the stone because it's too dangerous to have in other worlds and lila demands to go with him because she's she wants out of her her life and when she's with Kel she sort of shows a magical ability that is um not explained at this point but you know there's going to be more that comes from that and so I don't think I can say any more without giving too much of the rest of the surprises away and I liked it I didn't love it quite as much as I thought I would mm-hmm. because I wanted there to be more Londony goodness oh, and yes. I yeah. thought that for a book that 
that talks so heavily on the back of the book about how it's these different Londons, it didn't feel like it was really particular to London. Um, Like there are fixed points, like the Thames is a fixed point in all of these different worlds. But then after that, it kind of could be any other city. Mm -hmm. So I wanted what I wanted was to be able to plot things on a map because uh-huh. I, I love doing that when I read because um, I'm a nerd. And so I was, so the first chapter really hinted at that because there's a, a part where Kel is walking through gray London and it follows him through the neighborhood by Buckingham palace. And, and it was, I actually pulled up a map and was like, Oh, there he is now. And this is, this is this uh, building that he's in. And I really enjoyed that. And then after that, it sort of didn't have any more right, that, right. that was recognizable. And so that was a little bit of a disappointment to me. It also reads really, really YA in in a way that I was surprised by because I thought it I was looking forward to a more to a bigger departure in style from a YA novel. Mm-hmm. But but it still was really fun. I just I didn't really see what made it adult other than it was pretty violent. So um yeah, so it wasn't quite the like, like I expected this to be one of my favorite books ever, just from the description, and it it wasn't. So I'm I'm probably talking it down a little bit more than it deserves, but because it really was a fun book, and I mm-hmm. think that it would make an insanely fun movie. Mm, I actually think yeah. it would maybe would be a better movie than a book. So I know it's been optioned. So I'm really hopeful that it actually gets made because I will watch that. I wonder what you'd think if you read the whole trilogy. I think it's a trilogy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I. I definitely want to. I, like, I wonder what your opinion would be about the whole thing and feeling teen versus adult. I can Ooh, see. Okay. I can see why. It's been a while since I've read them, but I can. I can see what you're saying. But I feel like maybe it gets a little bit mature, more mature in content as it goes along. But Ooh, I'm, okay. I'm, uh, I don't remember very. I remember some bits and pieces of the last book. The yeah. middle book is like a complete loss to me. But um. <laughs> well, there's just there's such a tone to YA. Like dialogue in YA yeah. is written such a particular way, and this really was to me. Yeah. So, um, so I would like to see that develop a little bit. More. Yeah, I have to say she has a book coming out oh, in yeah. the fall that I've read. It's so good. It's really I've good. Heard great and it's about right it. up my alley. Like it is so my kind of book. And yeah. it's I won't go into it. I'll probably talk to uh, talk about it at one at some point, but it's called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. And it's um about a woman who as soon as people she makes a wish one day, um, under circumstances that uh, I won't go into. And her wish is um what is it? Not to not to belong to anybody or something like that. And so then what happens is people forget her as soon as they can't see her anymore. Um, And so literally she'll be talking to somebody and if she leaves the room or if they leave the room when they come back in, they don't remember her. And it's like the first time they've met. And so she lives and she's um, immortal. And so she lives a long time like that. So it it was really, I really, really liked it. Um, That sounds really cool. I thought it was really good. Well, and I think that's why I thought this was her first adult book because Mm -hmm. it, it did feel not that far from YA. Yeah. And so it'll be cool to see over time how that develops for her. Well, and I think maybe it's part of it's her writing style because I'm trying to think of yeah. an Addie, an Addie LaRue. I don't, it wasn't a very complex writing style, I wouldn't say. It was an easy, yeah. easy book to read. But um, Okay, so my first one is The Historian by Elizabeth, Elizabeth Kostova. Oh, yeah. And you've talked about this, I think, on the podcast before, I think. Um, I definitely have talked about it myself, but I know yeah. we've mentioned it. But that was, you know, years ago. Okay. And then we've mentioned it a few times. Okay, so... Um, so this is a big, thick 
historical novel that I've had for years, literal years on my shelf. Um, and the premise is that Bram Stoker based his character of Dracula on a real life person who was this really cruel guy in the 15th century. He was a prince named Vlad Dracul. And um, the book opens in 1972 with a 16-year-old girl who finds she lives with her father and he's he's like a diplomat or something. I don't know. He tr he travels and they're in Europe. <laughs> and I'm not remembering like what his position is. But anyway, I can't remember. either. She finds this book and it's kind of a mysterious book. It's blank. Um, there's a woodcut of a dragon on it. She opens and it says um, like Draculia or something. It's like spelled kind of funny. And um, she opens it and there are some letters inside and they're all dated from um, 1930 and they're addressed to my dear and unfortunate successor and that totally piques her interest and so she asks her dad about it and um, her father is reluctant to share with her um, what these are where they came from but he does he ends up telling her the story which is that when um, he was in school a professor of his who was kind of like his mentor was convinced that Dracula was still alive and he became obsessed with finding him. And that this book that she has stumbled upon has a way of sort of creating like a disastrous situation for whoever owns the book. Um, so there are three different stories that are told. Uh, the story that's in the letters of the professor, which is being told like by her father. And then there's a story of her father. And then there's a story of the girl who then does her own research into this whole situation. So there are like these three, it's not really three timelines because it's all being told in the sort of present of the story, but it's like they're going back, you know, they're telling the older, the story from the thirties and then. Right. Okay. So I did not finish this book. <laughs> Really? I did not like this book. <gasps> oh, no. And I will tell you why. This book was just not for me yeah. at the time that I read it. And yeah. I don't want to say it's, it's, a, it's a good book. It is for the right reader. It's probably the greatest book they've ever read. I started reading it when I was on vacation. It was not a vacation read. Oh, no. I read maybe 75 pages of it and thought, you know what? I'm going to set this aside. At the time, I was reading I, – I talked about them in our last episode, all those great books that I read. But it was all, like, thrillers, romance. Like, it was very fast-paced, yeah. very plot-driven. And this was just much more of a slow, kind of leisurely situation. Um, so yeah. I read 75 pages, set it aside. We got home – I picked it back up again, thought, okay, now I'm going to, you know, now I'm going to be in the right frame of mind to read it. And it took me literally like a week and I was still only at page 300. I was doing everything <laughs> in my power not to pick up the book, which is so unlike me. Like when I'm reading a book, I spend a lot of my free time reading. And so it's something I enjoy. So the fact that I was actively avoiding reading it yeah. was a huge sign to me. And life's just too short. There are too many great books out there. And I thought, this just is not for me. It might be for me at a different time, but it, it felt like such a slog. And I will tell you why part of it, I think, I don't know. So one of the things, and this is going to sound really silly, but I would be reading it and I would set it down and I would come back to it and I'd, I'd start reading. And so it's this three, these three different stories 
And particularly the father telling the story and then the part about the, the girl, Helen, telling her story, it was always in the first person. So I would be reading and I'd think, I don't know who I'm reading about right now because it was from their perspective. It was all I did this or I did that. And I was like, I if I had if I hadn't been if I was just picking up the book and I was like in the middle of a chapter, I'd be like, I don't know who I'm reading about right now. Yeah. Anyway, so that kept taking me out of the story because I, and it sounds like such a little thing and I don't know, I think if I'd been enjoying it and I had been really engrossed in the book, it wouldn't have bothered me at all. But I think it was especially noticeable because I did keep setting it down. So I would yeah. set it down and I pick it up and I think, oh, wait, now I have to go back and figure out who is even talking right now and who is telling the story. So I was, I am just, this pandemic has messed with my reading abilities, I think, because <laughs> I need something that grabs me right away, I think, right now and pulls me into the story. And it doesn't have to be super light and fluffy, but it does need to grab me. And this book just did not. And so I just decided at page 300, which is a little less than half because it's more than 700 pages, I decided I was going to set it aside. I've never done that with a book that we were going to talk about on the podcast. Um, generally, I've already before, generally, I don't read books for the podcast. But in this case, and I just thought, I just, I can't do it. I just could not bring myself to continue reading. Yeah. Um, so I would say, though, that if you like historical fiction, <laughs> you are in the mood for something that's a little bit slower paced and you are going to kind of go along for the ride wherever that takes you kind of thing and are interested in literature and stuff like there are I think this is just a great book for a lot of people it just was not for me right now yeah no, that totally makes sense it's 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 one of my favorite books yeah and I, but I think that is because I have dreams of failed academia right right <laughs> and so it's very much that where it's people doing research, research and yeah. going through their letters and yeah. um I, I I'm just a sucker for stuff yeah. like that and and even I mean we've had this discussion be before with things like the witch elm where I do enjoy that not not plotting because mm -hmm. I definitely understand where you need things to be fast-paced at different times and I'm right there with you with needing things yeah. uh, that are fast-paced right now but there's there's something that's kind of that methodical pace mm -hmm. that that get, does get me yeah and, and works for me yeah. pretty often so. yeah so it's just it's it just was not for me right now and the one thing I will say early on in the book that I was like seriously so <laughs> the father character I think it's the father character goes to get a copy of Dracula from the library at Harvard I think or yeah. Oxford some big university and the librarian he goes to look in the card catalog and the card catalog is missing the card for dracula and it's missing yeah. the, car the card for bram stoker so he goes and asks the librarian and the librarian says oh well our copy is checked out and i was like harvard has one copy of dracula <laughs> there aren't even like annotated versions or something i was like you've got to be kidding me like that i is... mean that's isn't that part supposed to be in like the 30s or something well, maybe so but maybe <laughs> i don't know i found that awfully hard to I, believe i do love i love mis library mistakes yes. that's one of my favorite things to read for yes. 
Anyway, so I, um, yeah, again, I can't, I've said it enough. It just yeah. wasn't for me. It wasn't for me right now. It's, it's, to me, that's a total fall winter book. Yeah. So Yeah, it just um, wasn't the right time yeah. for it for me. And I mean, global pandemic too. You right. know, if that, even if I were reading this in December, when we will still be working from home, I just right. found out um, that I don't even know. I don't think it's for me this year, basically, yeah. just with everything else that's going on. So, all right. Yeah. Tell us your second one. That actually makes me feel better for later in the episode. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> I don't remember what else I gave you. I have to like... Well, well, I'll explain okay. it. Oh, because okay. it's not exactly what you're saying, but okay. I didn't I didn't finish one of my books, oh, okay, but I'll explain it. Oh, that makes so... me feel better. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so next is The Widows of Malabar Hill oh, by yeah. Sujata yeah. Massey. And this I did very much like. It's part of a mystery series mm-hmm. that um, features a female lawyer named Perveen Mystery. And it's set in 1920s India, which is just kind of cool that you don't see that very right. often. So she works with her father, who is a well-known lawyer in Bombay. Um, it was called Bombay at the time. And they come from a, par- a prominent Parsi family. And I hadn't heard of that before. So um, when I looked into it, and they explained it in the book, but I looked into it a little bit more. They're descendants of the Zoroastrian Persians who fled to India after the um, Muslim takeover of the area that is now Iran. And so they're not ethnically... Indian which is is really interesting mm-hmm. and it's a fairly sizable community and actually Freddie Mercury is oh Percy which I didn't had no idea so yeah. it's very cool it's it's always fun to learn about things that are not related at all <laughs> <laughs> but then through a book you you do right. um so the the family firm is helping to settle the estate of a wealthy mill owner named Omar Farid and Perveen notices when they're going through these these papers that all three of his widows because he's uh, he was married to three women at the same time they've all agreed to give up the entitlement to his estate that they had in their dowries for the sake of the family charity and she thinks that their signatures look remarkably familiar so she suspects that someone else has taken advantage of them in some way. So she um, also finds out that the wives all live in seclusion, which is called Perda, and they never leave this this designated area in the house, and they can't talk to men, so they can't actually be questioned by any of the, the lawyers that are dealing with the um, estate. So Praveen can, and so she asks if she can help with the case because she can go actually speak to them face to face, and she finds out immediately when she gets there that they all seem to get along with each other, but there are different ideas of the inheritance um, amongst them, and that there at some point was information withheld from different from different wives Mm -hmm. uh, that, and it's not clear who did this. So there's a household guardian that um, that's controlling the estate at this time, and he becomes really angry with Perveen because he feels that she's meddling with the the plans, and she, he claims that she's trying to ruin everything by using her her knowledge that she shouldn't have in the first place because she's a woman, and he becomes really threatening to her. So she runs away, and she realizes later that she has left her briefcase and that she has to go back to get this because it has all of the paperwork for this this case this um estate uh settling and she discovers him dead with her briefcase and only the widows and their children and the uh porter of the house are are there and so the police um end up arresting the porter on very flimsy evidence and they don't like that Perveen is is involved and she's just seen as uh sticking her nose in things where where she doesn't belong 
So the case alternates with Perveen's past history, and you find out that in 1917 she had been taking law classes at the local university, but it was a non-degree because women weren't allowed uh, to actually graduate, and the whole time she was bullied by male students and even by her professors, and so she, uh, kind of in a uh, rage, <laughs> leaves the college after she's accused of cheating. And I, I can't really, or I, I'm not going to go into anything after that because it's it's um it plays out through the whole book mm-hmm. but you find out that those decisions that she made after that will impact the rest of her life and because of those decisions become she becomes deeply invested in women's rights and so this case with these widows feels very personal to her um so so that's what i'll talk about with the plot i i think i really enjoyed this book <laughs> but i'm not 100 sure because i hate hated the audiobook narration maybe more than I've ever hated an audiobook before. <laughs> so um, that, of course, very much colors how you mm-hmm. react to a book, which is kind of tricky. So I'll say that the dialogue was fine, but the third person narration for the rest of the book was done so that every sentence or hor- ended as though she was in like horrified surprise. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to kill something <laughs> by the end. So um, I would not recommend the audiobook. Um and I, it made the it made Perveen feel really insufferable mm-hmm. um, as a result. But I'm pretty sure that in print, I would think I would I wouldn't have any problems mm-hmm. with it. So I'm I really tried to balance my view of it, um, it, it knowing that it was that experience, but mm-hmm. also that experience is valid. So it's it was a little bit tricky. But the the premise is fantastic, mm-hmm. and it's definitely a perspective that's not often seen. Mm-hmm. And it's an own voices author, which is is mm-hmm. very cool for uh, for that part of the world. And there's also a lot of interplay between the Indian and the Parsi families and also these British families that have moved into the area. Um, So you find out at one point that Praveen attended Oxford. And so a friend of hers from Oxford comes to uh, Bombay with her family. And even though they have this history of friendship, there's tension there immediately. And so I like I like mysteries that sort of delve into a transitional time period Mm -hmm. and and really opens up a lot of um doors to uh interesting things and and crimes that can happen and it's it's just always uh, a good premise for a mystery Mm -hmm. i think um and in a lot of ways it reminded me of Maisie dobbs in that way Mm because it's kind of the same time period Mm -hmm. and it's also a woman doing things that uh she gets a lot of pushback on and so um i think that would be a good read to like so Mm -hmm. i recommend this I think, <laughs> but just pretty not sure. the audio. Yeah, just not the audio. So that's the Widows of Malabar Hill by Sujata Masi. Yeah, I thought this was a fun one. I read this last year, and I thought, like you said, I liked it. Was a different perspective and a different scenario than I had seen in a mystery yeah. before. So I really enjoyed it. And mysteries, I think, are the least diverse of any genre. I would say, and so I, I think, think there's thrillers definitely... might might. Not, oh yeah, you thrillers. Know. You're you're right. Um, <laughs> For sure. So it's, but it's, it's just nice when you can see yeah. things changing. Change. So yeah. And this is a series. I, I don't know if you said this. This is the first in what's going yeah. to be a series. I think the second one is already out. I'm not sure about yes. the third. Yeah. I don't think the third is out yet, <clears throat> yeah. but, um, but they've gotten really great reviews and yeah. they seem popular. So I yeah. was happy to have read this yeah. finally. Well, good. Well, I did better with that. Yay. <laughs> well, the first one I like too. I, yeah. I feel bad for saying. No, I know. I know. being down it's on not, it in certain ways. Not. It's, not- it's hard when you have expectations that yeah. are way too high that yeah. are 
fair for plus after all that those years of waiting years <laughs> okay so my next one is these old shades by georgette hair it is oh, hair yeah. right? or is it higher Hi- i think hair? it's higher but oh is I it higher i wish sure. it was higher so higher we'll say higher i um, don't know that okay now that i now i'm second guessing myself <laughs> i don't know we yeah could find out i'm sure people can look it up <laughs> it's late <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's late for me. It's creeping towards my bedtime. No time to look it up. Um, okay. So uh, I want to start by saying I want to like Georgette higher <laughs> or higher. <laughs> Lots of people compare her to Jane Austen and Jane Austen is one of my favorites. So I feel like I should like her. But this is my third book by her. I'm fairly sure. Possibly my fourth. And they're all just okay to me. And I, it's something about her writing style that just doesn't draw me in. I feel like I'm very removed from what is happening in, in the story. And the only way I know how to describe it is that usually if I'm reading a book I really like, if I stop and set it down, it's almost like I'm kind of resurfacing back into the world. You know, I'm, oh, there's, there's a world around me. I'm, and in her books, I'm very aware that I'm reading a book the whole time. Yeah. That I'm not, I don't get engrossed in the story. It just never really grabs me. So the good news is I did finish this. <laughs> um. And there are parts of it that I did like, but much like you found the narration insufferable, I found the main character insufferable. Yeah. So it is set in the Georgian time period. It is about a man named Justin Alistair, who is the Duke of Avon. And one night Ooh. he is in Paris and he runs into a young boy who um, he realizes immediately bears a striking resemblance to his enemy, his, like his mortal enemy. And um, <laughs> do you hear my eye roll through my... <laughs> So he's not quite sure of the relationship between this boy and his enemy, but he, uh, the boy seems to have been abused and he offers to buy the boy from his brother, figuring that he'll figure out some way to, to use him. But it's really for, he's not rescuing the boy out of like the kindness of his heart. He's doing it because he thinks that there's something in it for him, basically. Um, so the boy's name is Leon or Leon um, in mm-hmm. French, but... Um, and he's super happy to be rescued from his life and he's very, very grateful. Um, and he's like, I'll, you know, I'll do whatever you need me to do. I'll be your, not butler, but like, you know, do work for you basically. Um, but soon Justin and his friend realize that Leon is actually a girl (laughs) named Leonie and, um, she sort of has even forgotten she is a girl because she's been treated as a boy for so long by, um, the people that were abusing her um and so (laughs) it sounds so ridiculous so um um, so there's all this drama that happens where they figure out who she actually is so there there are some questions about if she's this um the man's illegitimate daughter, the enemy's illegitimate daughter, like how they're related. And so that part's figured out. And then, so I don't want to give too much away because if you do read it, like I want there to be surprises for it, but there's an abduction and there's just all kinds of drama. Like it's very drama filled. Um, But it's also a romance. So Justin is 40, I think. 
and Leonie is 20. And oh. it was she acts very young. She so she's I don't know, she's very annoying. <laughs> she's just <laughs> She's kind of an annoying character. So he, I liked him just fine. Like he was actually kind of an interesting character and he's kind of sly and funny. And so I kind of liked him, but I never bought into the relationship that they had this like romance going on that they only admit to each other in the very last page of the book, basically. And I know I just talked about the book, The Idea of You, where it's a 40 year old woman and a 20 year old guy, but that was so believable the way the author built that up. And this just felt very, again, it's something about her writing style. Like I don't, I'm not invested in it. I'm not invested in their relationship. I wasn't invested in the story. So that's part of it. Like I didn't, I didn't buy it. So there was no, there was no like culmination of their love story that, oh, yay, they finally get to be together. It was just sort of like, well, yeah, of course, because it's, it's Georgette higher, higher, and this is a Georgian romance kind of thing. You know, I don't know. So anyway, people love her. Lots of people love her. I am just not one of them, apparently. Um, I think that this is going to be it for me with her. This is my third or fourth try. And I thought it was fine. Like I said, I read it. I finished it. I wasn't ready to give up on it on, you know, a quarter of the way through or anything. I just thought, okay, this is fine. And this has been a learning experience. And now I'm learning more about myself as a reader and what I like. And um, I think that's going to be it. So that is These Old Shades by Georgette Heyer or Heyer. Well, and that's considered one of her, her, classics right. too like right that's that's one of the top ones right and so that's why i assigned it to you because right. you because it was on your shelf right. and and i was like oh that's that's one as a romance reader she should right. have read right and so right um i i can't remember which one of hers i've read it was but it was like 20 years ago mm-hmm. at least that i that i read one of her books and and i also you know i'm not nearly as invested in romance mm-hmm. as you are and so I thought it was fine, mm-hmm. but it's, it is, I mean, she was writing in the thirties, I yeah. think. And so they are just very old fashioned yeah. in, from, from modern sensibilities. And so that's always surprised me of why she's so perpetually popular because they, they are really dated well, in their writing styles. Very so. dated. And what's interesting to me is what I, from what I understand of why people like her so much is because there's not m- any sexual content to speak of. There's right. nothing that's going to be um, too scandalous or risque, which I get. I think that's harder and harder to come by in romances now. Right. Um, so I get why that would be appealing. But I don't, I have to admit, I don't see the comparison to Jane Austen beyond. No. Because I just feel like Jane Austen, they're so funny and so witty and like, and so, so rich, such, there's so much a reason they yeah. can read. And yeah, you can reread them. There's social commentary and there's just so much to them. And this just felt like a book that was written a long time ago that was supposed to be a romance, but is kind of gross now that this 40-year-old guy who like took in a 20-year-old girl. I don't know. It just felt, yeah. it just all felt dated. Like you said, that was the it's, perfect word for it. So It's making me laugh a little bit though that I'm like, ooh, because my last relationship was with someone that was 20 years older you're than right. I am. So I'm, yeah. I have no room to talk, but I was not 20. No, I, Well, and she just comes across as so young and inexperienced in life right. and the world. And and yeah, I don't know. Anyway. I'm, it's very fun. I'm, we don't usually I don't. have commentary about the books that we we talk about. And we both have talked about books we haven't liked I know. very much before. And so it's fun when we do these episodes because we actually get to say what we think I about know. 
books. Well, and I think we we typically err on the side of being positive about things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because and so but in this case, like I didn't have the option to talk about a different book. It was like, right. this is the book I'm talking about. And I'm not going to lie about how I felt about it. So. Right. And the whole point of the episode is kind of, yeah. what did you think right. about so. about this? I know so. it's funny though. It's just fun. <laughs> because we, I'm trying to think. I feel like we've done similar things before where we've sort of assigned each other books. And I feel like they were always more successful <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We did. We should tell everybody we did not share with each other ahead of time how we felt about the books that we had picked. No, although I did wonder because you posted something about a book you loved recently (laughs) and you said after reading lots of books that were so so, and I was like, oh, I bet those were all mine. (laughs) I know. I did read such a good book when it was such a good romantic comedy. Okay. All right. What's your last one that I assigned you that you didn't finish? I didn't finish, but not on purpose. Okay. So it's Life After Life by Kate Atkinson. And the reason I didn't finish it is because I'm just struggling right now with concentrating. Yeah. And um, I we've we assigned these to each other at, the, at least the beginning of the summer, mm-hmm. if not. Ooh, I think it may any, have been in May. I think. Yeah, it was really early. So it's I've had plenty of time to read this, but I've had lots of other things that I've I've had to read kind of before this because I knew we weren't reading it for a while mm-hmm. but even those things have taken much much longer than they should have and I basically just want to read the news right now and so I'm really struggling to concentrate on um anything even though once I get reading the news and being online I hate that too so mm-hmm. I'm sort of in limbo of whatever I'm doing so so I did not finish this but simply out of uh running out of time okay okay that makes um, me feel so better. apologies and, um but I, sorry go ahead oh go ahead no, I was just going to say, this is one that you need uh, concentration for. Yes, this isn't yeah. one to, to slog through because I think that it's more rewarding if, if you can yeah. devote some attention to it. So. And I'm I'm really loving it. Mm-hmm. I I just, I, right now I'm having, I've noticed that because of the pandemic, but even before that, I've really struggled to get into books. And once I get past maybe... 50 to 100 pages I'm pretty okay but those first that first while I just I really find it hard to get immersed into Mm -hmm. it so um so that was the case with this but um but I can tell that I love it I think I I think I'll keep it Mm -hmm. I own it and I think I'll keep it because I think I love it but it just took a while for me to get to that place than I should have so um and I've also read other Kate Atkinson books and I've really loved those so I I think that it's there's there's no reason for me to not find that same enjoyment Mm -hmm. with this one so it's about a woman named ursula todd and she is born on a snowy night in 1910 outside of london um she was married or she's she's born to a banker and his wife and she dies immediately because the umbilical umbilical cord is wrapped around her neck and the doctor can't get there in time because of the snow and then in the next chapter she's born again and this time the doctor is able to get there and to save her but then she dies a few years later when she drowns in the ocean with her sister so then she's reborn again, and each time she's reborn, she alters the circumstances just a little bit to survive that circumstance. So um, she also can remember to some degree what has happened to her. It, it's not like it's not told in a fantasy novel kind mm-hmm. of way. She just sort of has this these premonitions mm-hmm. um, that at least give her enough to recognize that she needs to do something differently in that situation. So um, in one instance, she dies three times of the Spanish flu in 1918 before she can stop 
the housemaid who actually brings it into the house from going out and catching it in the first place. And so therefore she doesn't spread it to the family. Um, and finally on that fourth time, she's able to survive. So this kind of gives her an otherworldly sense in her family. So her mother is named Sylvie and she's kind of unsettled by her and her father, Hugh, really dotes on her, but um, you see a lot more of Sylvie's interior interior life and that she has her own struggles to be a wife and a mother. And um, you see this kind of interplay between Sylvie and her daughter that, that causes a little friction. So uh, Ursula stands out from the family because she has this foreknowledge of events, but it's also clear that she's going to have a different life than they will. So as she dies and she comes back, she's able to alter events so that she avoids things that will harm her and others. And then you see how they had influences on her future life. So this is a really um, a take on the butterfly effect mm -hmm. and the way that we're all linked to each other and that there are consequences for when you change something or someone else's change, someone else changes something, but then your life is the one that, that changes going mm -hmm. forward, which is a really cool, I mean, we've all thought about those mm -hmm. kinds of things a lot and mm -hmm. it's really, it's cool to see it play out in, uh, a, you know, not a real life book, but, mm -hmm. but the, right. the, have the concept actually explored that way. So early on in the, in the book, I think actually the first chapter, there's a scene, um, where you see that she is involved with trying to assassinate Hitler. And there's a scene later on in uh, still fairly early in the book where it's after World War II, where her favorite younger brother, Teddy, has died in the war and her mother, Sylvie, has killed herself. And so you know that somehow she is going to come back and try to assassinate Hitler until she gets it right. And... Um, it's just such a cool concept. I, I love, like, there have been so many, you know, thought thought um, exercises about would you kill baby Hitler and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And so the way this plays out is, is just really fascinating. So um, I also really liked that there's a tremendous amount of detail, even though the writing style is pretty spare, um, I would say. it, And it really shows how skilled Kate Atkinson is and how she weaves information into the text and really develops her characters even though she's not giving a huge amount of description to them mm -hmm. so she'll include little habits and comments and it just makes everything really full and you feel really immersed in this family and in Ursula's life um, as well so um, like I said I I had a hard time at the beginning getting it to get into it um but i'm now halfway done and i only want to read it right now <laughs> so um, i was kind of sad that i wasn't able to get it finished before this but i also saw that there's a sequel that has teddy that come that came out a couple of years ago mm -hmm. after this book came out and um so i'm just i'm excited that there's more to enjoy after this book is over so that is life after life by kate atkinson one of my favorites. I love that book. I love that yeah. book so, so much. I'm glad. I know that... so many people that love it. Yeah. And so I was glad it's it's held up. Yeah, that's I'm glad you I'm glad you're enjoying it. I understand why, like I said, it might be one that would be difficult if you're not in a place to devote some attention to it, because it does take a little while to sort of get into the way it's structured. Um, right. But yeah, I just I loved it. And you spent a lot of time, or at least I did, I was spent a lot of time trying to find the thing that yes they did differently yeah that made this one work and so sometimes I was I was spending too much time getting like I felt like I needed to know that mm -hmm. and it 
didn't matter as much as I thought it did. And so I kept going back and being like, well, why did the doctor get there this time? And Mm -hmm. I need to know what that little piece of information is. And then Mm -hmm. it didn't matter. So, um, but it's definitely, uh, um, it's pretty, it's not slow paced, but it's, it's not, um, it's very compelling. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's a good pick. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad. I, I just love that book. I would, I, that might be a book I reread at some point, but. Okay, so my last one is The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemison, and I will say I liked it, so that we are on, oh, good. We are in a better place than for the first two. Um, this is the first one in, um, a, the first book, excuse me, in a trilogy um, called The Broken Earth Trilogy, and it's, so I was trying to figure out, like, what it, what I would call it, and I was like, I guess it's apocalyptic fiction, so it's not yeah. really, I wouldn't really, I mean, I guess it's a type of science fiction, but it's not really. But also magic But magic, too. so I guess it's like science yeah. fantasy or something. Anyway, it's its own unique thing. <clears throat> it's very hard to summarize. <laughs> so it yeah. is, you've read this, right? Yes. Yes, okay. So the world has been through all these different, catastrophic um events where like tectonic plates have shifted and things um and so there's this massive continent called the stillness where people live but it's very sparsely populated and people form subsistence communities where just to sur- they're called comms and they form these communities just to survive um, because they're all preparing for what's going to be the fifth season, which is going to be another one of these catastrophic changes where they have to um, live through basically because the earth will be moving so much that um, they could easily die. (laughs) So, um, so that's sort of like the premise is that there is this, there, everybody's preparing that there is, for this fifth season. Um, but there is a subset of people called Origines uh, who can sense and control this kinetic and tectonic energy. So they're very powerful because they could stop a volcano from erupting, but they also could cause a volcano to erupt. So generally they're feared and um, they're often the subject of um, like prejudice because people are are worried and scared of what they can do with that power. So they um, sometimes try to keep their identity hidden as these origins because they don't want, they just want to live a, as much of a normal life as possible. So the book opens with uh, a woman named a son, or I think these are all names that don't come naturally to me because uh, <laughs> they're these like fantasy kind of names. So it's E-S-S-U-N. So I'm just going to say a son. Um, and she is an origin, and but her identity has just been revealed to those around her. And she is a married mother of two. Um, and her husband has just killed their son and run away with their daughter after learning the news that, um, that she's an origin. So she goes off to try to find them. So there's one storyline. So there are three different storylines. So that's one about this woman who's trying to find um, her child. Then you have a young woman who's um, like a teenager named Demaya. I think she's a teenager as I'm saying that. I don't know that it ever actually... I think you're given the indication that she's younger though because she is going she's very independent she's very fierce and she's going to um a place called the fulcrum which is like an academy that the 
empire government has set set up so that they can train the origins to control their powers for serving the empire so to do what the empire wants them to do so it's like it's like a school basically and then you have a third woman cyanite who is in her 20s probably and she has been ordered to breed to create more origins and the man she's supposed to breed with is very very powerful he is um an ability to to do much more than she's ever seen before as far as his powers so as a reader you know somehow their stories are going to come together even though you they're three distinct separate stories in their own right they're all very interesting too because the the characters are incredibly compelling the the female characters so as a reader I was very interested in each individual story but then also the whole time like how's this coming together like how are they linked how are they going to come together what's yeah. going to happen and we've talked before I think a bit about when you read something that isn't your usual kind of book Sometimes it's nice to have one thing that you can kind of latch on to that you can think like, all right, this isn't my usual thing, but there's this element of it that right. is something I really generally like. So for me, that multiple storylines that you know are going to be tied together, but you're not quite sure how is something I absolutely love, um, no matter what the genre is of the book. So for, as soon as I started and I realized that that was the kind of book this was, I was like, oh, this is great. Because even if the whole apocalyptic fiction isn't always the first thing I'm drawn to these stories that I know are going to be tied together and figuring out how and there it's usually in my opinion very artfully done when they can do it well that it just it all makes it all falls into place and makes sense and you're like oh of course <laughs> like of course this is what how it was going to come together um but it's not obvious ahead of time so I just love that so it I really enjoyed it it was so it's the first in a trilogy, like I said, and I felt like it ended on in a way that was satisfying, but I definitely want to read the second one, which I think is the perfect way to kind of end a book where you don't feel like you're left just out there thinking, oh, no, the story just ended, you know, and I thought that there yeah. was going to be more. But um, there clearly they they wrapped things up and or she wrapped things up enough to satisfy some of the threads in the story. But then there's so much more to come. So I really enjoyed it. It was a not my not my usual thing, um, but it was very interesting. The characters were really good. I think the writing was fantastic. It was yes. one of those things that she just such a good writer. It was such a uh, so creative. It's maybe maybe it's not for people that read a lot of this sort of thing, but to me this felt unique. This felt not like something that had been done a bunch of times before. Um, so yeah, I that's think the... that it is though, because she won the Hugo she... three in a row. Right. Yeah. So and so I think it is pretty standout even. Well, and I just read the city we became by her right. um, a few months ago, which talk about an interesting premise. That's like the boroughs of New York City are are uh, like come together and fight different cities, but they're all people I don't know it's very it's hard that's not the book we're talking about today but her brain I would like to know how her brain yeah. works um because it was it was a fascinating fascinating book and I, I enjoyed it quite a lot it would be one that I would need to knowing what the first one was like I would definitely want to make sure I was in the right mood for the second book because I think it would be another one similar to what we talked about with the historian like if I'm not in the mood for this sort of story I feel like I would 
I would dismiss it or I would start yeah. it and be like, eh, no, 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 this isn't, you know, this isn't what I want right now. So, um, it, cause it's kind of, he- it's heavy. I mean, there's yeah, some heavy it's themes. Not it's, easy it's not an easy read. It wasn't, um, there's also sections that are in second person yeah, too, yeah. which is yeah. super unusual. Yeah. So that is the fifth season by N.K. Jemison. And I should say she, um, all of her books are very highly acclaimed. Like she has the hundred thousand kingdoms, which I think was her first, First, book? is that the inheritance? I think trilogy, so. Or is that a different one? I think that's. I don't know. But anyway, they're all. She's, she's, uh, very, very well reviewed and very well yeah. acclaimed. So she's an author to pay attention to. I would say. If, yeah, for sure. And and one to try if you're interested in if you this isn't your thing and you want to venture out. I would I would give her a shot. Well, and she. So the reason I read this because it's definitely not my thing, but I had to read or I had to listen to the third one for the Audis, and I listened to about an hour of it and and said, yes, this is one of the best narrations I've ever heard. I want. I can't listen to this book anymore because it's not fair mm-hmm. <laughs> to not get to start at the beginning because mm-hmm. I had no clue what was going on. Like it was almost another language that was being spoken mm-hmm. because it's so. Uh, there's just so much world building. Yeah. So it's just impossible to to jump in um, at the third book. And so I listened to the first and the second one. And it's still, I still always say that's one of the best audiobooks I've ever listened mm-hmm. to. Even though I would say I really struggled to pay attention to it just mm-hmm. because it is so dense. And I think that I, I think if, I think I need to reread it and, and that I would grasp the story more. But the, the quality of the narration is some of the best I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think for someone who has a mind a little bit more tuned toward uh, sci-fi and fantasy, Mm -hmm. that it would, it would be easier for them to ingest the audio um, a a little bit more. But, um, but yeah, it's one of those books where you're like, this may not be the book for me, but I can tell that it's perfect. Yes. 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 Oh, and that's how I felt honestly about the city we became. I thought this is not for me. This is not, it wasn't something that I particularly enjoyed reading, I wouldn't say, but I, it was an excellent, I knew it was an excellent book. And yeah, knew like it was, the craft is there. The, yeah, I knew it was probably one of the best books of the year, honestly, in that genre. It's just that's not usually what I like to read, so. Yeah. Okay, well, that was fun. <laughs> we that talked was... a lot, but it's so much fun. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back with what we're reading this week. <laughs> Okay, Anne, what are you reading this week? So I was reading the books we assigned. So (laughs) I'm going to talk about a book I read a couple of weeks ago um, for work and really enjoyed that was called The Talented Miss Farwell by Emily Gray. Let me say that again. Emily Gray Tedrow. Oh, yes. I've seen that name before. I don't think I've ever read anything by her. Yeah. Yeah. I I hadn't heard of her before and this is not her first book. So um, I'm excited to go back and see what else she's done. But this is forthcoming. It's it releases on September 29th. And it's being described by me as (laughs) Tom Ripley meets Becky Sharp meets Catch Me If You Can. Ooh, yeah. So it's about a girl named Becky Farwell. And she's kind of odd from childhood. And she doesn't have any friends in high school, but she shows talent in math. And she's um, using that to keep her father's agricultural supply business afloat. So um, basically running the business while he's sort of the, the face of it. And she's kind of disgusted by everyone in her small town in Illinois. It's called Pearson. And she 
knows she can't leave though because she has to stay she, has, she can't go to college away from from the town because she has to stay for her dad he's either i can't remember if he's widowed or divorced but um her mom is not around at all and so she she knows that her dad is going to fall apart if if she doesn't stay um both emotionally and the business so she gets a job after she grads graduates from high school at the town accounting office and she seems immediately to be the only person who takes it seriously there isn't anyone who knows any of the accounts and the supervisor doesn't care at all and everything is just complete chaos um, and despite the fact that she's the only competent one she's really demeaned for being a young woman that that's um uh seen as too young to know what she's doing so um, one day she randomly goes to an art museum that's on the uh, local like community college campus and she's completely enthralled by a, a student painting, but she knows so little about art that she actually tries to take it off the wall to see better, which mm. you know is not what you do. So soon after that, she uh, it, when she's working, she realizes that there was a bill that a business paid to the town that they double paid. And so she realizes that no one on either end will realize this because the bill has been paid. Uh, so she decides to just keep the money and buy the painting and she becomes obsessed with collecting. So she learns uh, slowly everything she can about the art world and collecting. And this is basically like a foreign country to her because it's so unlike her life that, that she doesn't have anything to relate to, but she just is fascinated by this world. And so as, as time goes on, she's been given raises and she um, realizes that she can manipulate the accounts and create some in, in, fake names that only she can access and that the chaos of the office is going to cover her tracks and that she knows she's the only person and and everyone else knows she's the only person who understands the system and so they have total trust in her and and frankly kind of a relief that they don't have to do it themselves so she ends up going to chicago on the weekends to buy art and she uh, outs herself immediately as a novice but she learns from a bunch of experts and she changes her name when she's in chicago to reba and she starts to make friends and connections and she travels around the world and she gets more money and she can dress beautifully and she starts to build this reputation as a as a connoisseur but um kind of as someone who doesn't actually really care about the art itself and is more interested in the status and the money and the the chase of collecting so then during the week she goes back to pearson to be becky in accounting and she uses the town's money to buy art with the intention of paying back the town after she makes a profit from it but that's not a stable market and so the the town is starting to suffer from not having enough money to actually run it um but she isn't really trying to scam the town exactly. She really is trying to do the best for it, but she just can't quench this need of hers. So this goes on for decades and she calls it her activity with a capital A. And there's this really tense um, sense of propulsion that, that is moving the book forward as she's juggling this double life. And so it has the Tom Ripley feel of um, trying to be someone you're not and committing a crime to cover your past crimes and then Becky Sharp from Vanity Fair shows up as that drive to live at a higher status than what you were actually born with and, and always kind of conniving for more. So I wouldn't say that this is exactly unputdownable because it just doesn't have that kind of pace as, as a typical uh, thriller. But it also was unputdownable because you just have to know how this is going to turn out when things are getting completely out of control. So I really, really enjoyed this. I, I'm really excited that... Um, uh, I think this will get some attention in the fall. So that is The Talented Miss Farwell by Emily Gray 
Tedrow. That sounds really good. And I looked on Goodreads while you were talking. I have read something by that author. Oh, <laughs> yeah. One of her previous books I've read. That's uh, fun. I know. Okay, so what I am reading this week is a book called Jackie and Maria by Gil Paul. It is historical fiction about the life of Jacqueline Kennedy, Ona- Kennedy Onassis and Maria Callis. Uh, who, Cal- is that? I think so. Is that how I've you always that? wondered about that. Yeah. I've only read it. Right. Yeah, I've only ever read it. So she was an opera, famous opera singer. Um, so I absolutely adore historical fiction that's based on real people that imagines what's going on in their interior lives based on what we know of them. So this is just right up my alley. And I don't know much about either of these women, and especially Maria Callas. So um, and not much more, honestly, about Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis. So I've spent the entire time I've been reading, I'm about halfway through, and I've spent the time so far just Googling constantly because (laughs) there will be mentions, so there's discussion of Jacqueline's sister, who I didn't know anything about that even she had a sister, Um, but there's some kind of scandalous stuff that happens with her sister or that it's uh, inferred that happened with her sister. So I was Googling what her sister looked like in her sister's life. And um, anyway, so which is, I think, kind of fun when you read something like that, that piques your interest to go find out some more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so as I said, I'm about halfway through and there are some, sim- it, I'll be curious to see how the story plays out because right now, Maria and Jackie are two totally separate people. They have some some people in their circles, their social circles who overlap, but they have not met yet. Um, and But yet they have some similarities as far as their relationships with their significant others, um, some, some difficulty they had uh, with pregnancy and um, desire to have children and things like that. So it's interesting because there's some parallels being drawn about how they were perceived by the public versus how they felt their actual personality and interior life was. So it's just, it's been, it's an interesting, it's an interesting book. But so you have Maria Callas, who was apparently known as being kind of difficult um, and that she was a diva, even though the the character she's portrayed is not really that way. She's not particularly demanding. She takes it seriously. And, and because she's a woman in a role where she, asks for things to be done a certain way because she takes her her calling seriously that she's um, wants to put on a good show and stuff. Because she's a woman making those demands, she's considered a diva. Um, and she had to, a couple of times, like a doctor told her she shouldn't perform. And then she gets a reputation that she's kind of flighty and she just will cancel things left and right. So it's, it's interesting the way that the author portrays her um, because she is shown as somebody basically all she wants is to be a mother and she can't get pregnant um, and she's married to a man as the story opens who is also her manager and it becomes clear that they have a pretty I don't know I would say kind of like a solid relationship but it's not particularly passionate and then she meets Aristotle Onassis and there's an immediate spark and the two of them just feel very drawn to each other and they're both married at the time they end up having an affair and eventually leaving their spouses to be together but then once they're together her husband refuses to grant her a divorce so they can't get married and then they spend several years together and she's she starts pressing it and saying i want to get married i don't want to have 
we're going to have kids. And she's in her mid-30s. And she says, I don't want to have kids unless... I don't want to have a baby and be unmarried, basically. Like, we need to be married before we have a baby. She starts becoming suspicious that he is having... um, Seeing other women as well. So she is not on particularly stable ground in her relationship and then has developed this reputation as being difficult. And so the, her career is kind of on the rock. So she's in a, a pretty fraught position. Um, and then you have Jackie Kennedy, who they show a little bit of her courtship with John F. Kennedy and then him becoming president and how being in the spotlight is not something she takes to really. It's not some a place where she feels comfortable. But she also always wanted an interesting life. She didn't want, she had the opportunity to get married to somebody else, but her she saw what her life would look like. And it was a very, it was a very privileged life, but it was a very predictable life. And she didn't want that. She wanted something more interesting, um, which is she is getting, obviously, is when she becomes um, the wife of a president. But she doesn't feel particularly comfortable in the spotlight. She doesn't like the way the public gets, uh, or doesn't, the way the public has a say in, in her life, she doesn't particularly appreciate that. Um, and then also she has a husband who uh, likes to have some dalliances with other women, which is difficult for her. So as I said, I'm only about halfway through. In fact, the chapter that I finished last night before I went to bed is where John F. Kennedy is shot in Dallas. So now we're in a new section of the book is when I set it down. Um, and so now I'm assuming we're going to see how she ends up marrying Aristotle Onassis because at the part I'm in the book, he's still with Maria Callas. So it's going to be interesting. It's very juicy and kind of gossipy. Um, but it's also, I think, pretty good at showing these two female characters as multifaceted. They weren't just what the public thought, as you would imagine nobody would be. Um, but they they are flawed and complex and they have complex feelings they have complicated feelings about the people the men that they love who both of the men are cheating on them they think um but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to uh, leave them either so it's it's i don't know it's it's good i'm enjoying it quite a lot it is jackie and maria by gil paul that sounds really interesting. And there's, a, that oh, sorry, there's lots of, like, I know that, that didn't Jackie Onassis, like, deny her sister anything in her will or yes. something like yes. that, too. So there's there's yeah. lots of juiciness, yeah. too. Lots, so, yeah, draw. one of the things is speculation that she at least had a tryst is the word that they use with Ooh. JFK. Yeah, so. I love a tryst. I know. Um, so anyway, so it's <laughs> I mean, like, not in real life. No. But in- and, and I think it's helpful <laughs> that I don't know truthfully anything about either of these women because I'm just buying it all like sure (laughs) that seems reasonable whereas I feel like if I knew more about them that I might be kind of fact-finding a little bit and saying oh I don't know if this happened the way they're saying or whatever it might be so it's kind of fun because it's just like sure this this seems about right to me yeah (laughs) Um, all right let's go back and list off what we talked about today Okay, I talked about A Darker Shade of Magic by V.E. Schwab, The Widows of Malabar Hill by Sujata Masi, Life After Life by Kate Atkinson, and what I am reading this week is The Talented Miss Farwell by Emily Gray Tudrow. That is Tedrow. That is difficult to say for me for some reason. <laughs> All right, so what I talked about this week 
that was the historian by Elizabeth Kostova. Uh, These Old Shades by Georgette Hare, or Hire, please tell us which is right. <laughs> uh, the Fifth Season by N.K. Jemison, and what I'm reading this week is Jackie and Maria by Gil Paul. And the last thing I think before we wrap up here is I just want to say, like, we both agree that just because a book is not for our tastes or what we are interested in doesn't mean it might not be the perfect book. So if any of the books that we talked about sounded intriguing to you, I would say go for it and give it a shot. And you can always put it down if you don't like it. But um, it also doesn't mean that it's a bad book. No, not at all. It's just not not for us. us. Yes. All right. So if you'd like to get in touch with us, maybe tell us about a book that's not for you that everybody else loved. Uh, you can reach us at uh, wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter or Instagram at wellreadpodcast. Um, we are probably going to be putting some sneak peeks for our next episode on Instagram and Facebook. So if you follow us, you'll get a little, we're doing something a little different for our next episode. So you'll get a sneak peek of what that looks like. Um, If you could please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other podcast provider of choice, it really helps people find the show. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this and all episodes. Thank you all for listening. Happy reading. I hope you are all well and safe and we will talk to you soon.